Good morning. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is going a little bit. Good morning. <laughs> um, my name is Ho Jin, and I am the young adult pastor here at Cornerstone. And, um, yeah, you know, on top of the fact that we're going to miss um, Myung a lot, uh, please pray for Cornerstone. Uh, if you didn't know, Pastor Danny and I started off serving here as mentor ministry students. And we just fell in love with this church and, like, served in so many different ways and even have changed roles uh, in the past. And uh, even the seminarians that we do have right now uh, who preach the past two Sundays, Chris and, and Janet, have been such a blessing to us. Would you pray for this church that we would also receive more seminarians so that this body would be built up so that it could do its mission and fulfill the vision that God has given to us. Uh, that, that, that is really a, a prayer request that I would like to share uh, with all of you, um, especially now that Myung has made us really sad. Um, but, no, really, I'm going to miss you, uh, brother. And um, Random thing, Myung came for the first Sunday. This is not a Myung show, but I'll share one story. Um, uh, and we're just talking, and he's like, oh, I'm from the Bay Area, and I don't know many churches in the Bay Area, but I had a friend, a very close friend with whom I used to lead worship, and talking to him, and he's like, oh, I go to blank church, and I was like, what? Do you know so-and-so? And I had grown up pretty much with uh, this, this older sister, and he was like, yeah, I led worship with her. I served with her, and I was like, oh my gosh, small world, of course, but... To have coincided like that is just another way God has blessed us. Uh, this morning, I have the great privilege of uh, preaching God's Word. And we are eight days away from Christmas. Isn't that crazy? I feel like the fall had just kind of ended. Winter, I was just adjusting. And even this morning, it hasn't been too many days of just consecutive cold and and. It's eight days away, and we're fast approaching the, the end of 2017. Uh, honestly, I don't have too many uh, memories of Christmas, like good or bad. I, I kind of have like neutral feelings towards Christmas. Uh, my parents uh, were first-generation immigrants from Korea. They had uh, come to the States maybe a year before I was born. So they had to work long hours. They worked holidays. Um, and just to make ends meet in, in our family. And I was actually searching for some Christmas photos of uh, my, my family. And, th- like, I only found this one photo. Uh, I don't even know if it's Christmas. But I'm assuming it's winter. Because I don't know why a baby that big needs to be bundled up. Um, like, poor mama, right? Like, she's, like, leaning back. To support my weight. And then do you see my dad, like, kind of graciously, like, supporting her? And I'm just oblivious and in shock um, that someone took a picture of me. So, so from that to this, uh, I don't know how it happened, but uh, so that you're not staring at that face. Um, Naturally, I actually don't have a lot of Christmas experiences um, that bring kind of like fondness or nostalgia. And a lot of times Christmas didn't meet my expectations. Uh, My family didn't have the opportunity to have Christmas meals. And 
Uh, we didn't have decorations in our homes, and we might have had a tree once uh, while I was growing up. Um, and I'm not saying this so y'all feel bad uh, for me or buy me a tree. Please don't buy me a tree. Uh, I don't, we don't have space for that. Um, but even later on in high school years, um, my family kind of got folded into some um, relatives and their Christmas traditions, and that made Christmas even weirder um, uh, for me. They did a lot of gift giving and, and like sharing, and I received a lot of presents I didn't like, uh, a lot of presents I didn't want, a lot of presents I had to return from people who didn't even know me, um, from some people I didn't even like, to be honest, and I experienced the busyness of stress of following somebody else's traditions, and I saw the people around me get stressed out as well. And for Christmas, for me, Christmas became something that it wasn't supposed to be. I had notions from TV or movies that Christmas needed to look a certain way, feel a certain way. And I realized as I was talking to a lot of people in the past few weeks that I'm not the only one. A lot of us have uh, maybe similar feelings towards it. And what about you? What do you think about Christmas? What is it supposed to look like? In your family, you might have some traditions you do year after year after year. In eight days, are you expecting those traditions to happen again? When you think about Christmas for this particular year, 2017, what are you expecting it to look like? And what if I were to tell you that there was actually a similar sense of Christmas not being the way it was supposed to be in the very first Christmas. That there was something about Jesus when he first came to earth, there was something that made people think, wait a second, this isn't the way I expected it to be. This isn't the way Jesus was supposed to come. What if I were to tell you that some parts, at least some parts of Jesus' birth, should make us stop and say, wait a second, is that supposed to be the case? So today we're looking at the third week of Advent and continuing our series called Keeping Christ in, in Christmas, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn there, Luke chapter 2. And in particular today, I want to invite all of us to read this passage as if you've never read it before. Uh, in fact, I'll even say that some of us who've grown up in the church and have seen maybe different uh, Christmas uh, skits and pageants have kind of misportrayed some of this story. So uh, if you have never heard this story, you're actually at a significant advantage to a lot of us who've heard this before. So please uh, join me as I read from verses 1 to 21 as if you've never, ever heard this story or read this story before. Starting from verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Verse 7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths 
and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And then they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. Verse 21, At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray before we continue. God, we thank you for this time to just look at your word, to reflect on this story, whether it's the 50th time we've we're hearing this story, or the first time, may it be a fresh message, not just to our minds, but to our hearts, that will lead us to action through our hands and our feet and our mouths. Lord, we pray that this time would be beneficial, not just to us, but uh, be to your glory, that we would add to the kingdom, that we would seek out your will, your ways, because in your will and your ways, we're going to find our greatest purpose and our greatest joy. So we pray that your spirit would be with us, strengthening us, feeding us, allowing us to behold Jesus, your son, for who he is exactly, and that this story would make a difference in our lives, starting even today. So we depend on you to do that. We thank you, God, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In verse 10, an angel appears and makes this crazy, amazing announcement. The angel says, Fear not, behold, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy that a Savior had just been born, and this Savior is the Christ. And that word is the the Greek word for Messiah meaning that this was the long-awaited, the long-anticipated, the long-expected king that Israel had been waiting for for centuries. But there are so many details in Luke 2 that paint us a picture that should throw us off a little bit. This Messiah that was so long-expected, so long-awaited, so needed by the people, finally comes, but Luke details out all these different things that kind of kind of throw us off. 
that make us say, wait, is this how it's supposed to be? Luke includes the detail right in the beginning of chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, that scream at us in hindsight because Luke talks about the Roman rule. He's talking about Caesar Augustus. And historically, Caesar Augustus was known to view himself and have his people view him as God. So isn't that such a weird and bleak backdrop to put the birth of Jesus? Politically, here's what's happening when Jesus is born. The Romans have all the power. And the angel comes and says, I have good news of great joy that a Savior is born, a Messiah, the Lord, the King. Not only that, Luke emphasizes that this pregnant teenage girl the one to give birth to a Messiah, is still not married. Luke didn't have to say that Mary was betrothed and that she was still pregnant. So that means she was still living with that potential of scandal and shame. In verse 7, we're told that this Messiah is born on a road trip. I actually have a college friend who ended up giving birth in the backseat of her car on the way to the hospital. Even, like, for all of us, we're like, oh, my gosh. But this is a road trip back in the day, no cars. And Mary had to give birth inconveniently. Not only that, it's told to us that there's no place for them, that they end up amongst the animals that They have to lay Jesus down in a manger, a feeding trough. And this manger is mentioned three times intentionally in these 21 verses. These details almost stand in contention to the amazing announcement that the angel gives in verse 10. Good news of great joy. It's good news of great joy, but less than ideal situation. It's in circumstances that feel like it shouldn't be this way. So this morning, we want to see that even things, even though things are not the way that they are supposed to be, God can be seen. When things don't go as expected, God desires to reveal himself, his character, his heart to us. And that's what we want to look at this morning. Three timeless truths about God from the birth of Jesus. Three timeless truths about God in the birth of Jesus. And these truths, I say they're timeless because God has been the same since the very beginning when he created the world, since Jesus was born, and he is still, these characteristics, he still exhibits them, he still exercises them to us today. And these truths matter to us because they could change the way we approach life, the way that we see the world, the way we follow Jesus. So the first timeless truth is God is faithful. God is faithful. Everything God said he would do, it happened. He follows through, and it becomes the case. In verse 6, we read, it's almost too just like pithy or like concise, right? Uh, Verse 6, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Verse 7, and she gave birth, right? The time came and it happened. Luke is making it very clear by naming it and saying that it had happened. The virgin birth that was promised and predicted in chapter 1 becomes reality. That this birth that was only caught up in, in, in their heads 
initially became reality in her womb, even greater reality in her arm in the manger. What seemingly was impossible for Mary to conceive a virgin birth and have a child is now reality that this Messiah is born breathing alive in a manger. And in fact, God uses the political circumstances to bring about this opportunity to fulfill every single promise in the Old Testament. Before Jesus was ever born, God fulfills every promise. We're told that Caesar declares this decree, this order that everyone needs to be registered. And not just for information's sake. He wants to register everyone so that he could tax everybody. And this almost forces Joseph to go back to his hometown. And, and we're told that Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem. Why? Because he was of the house and lineage of David. And our sister Janet preached last Sunday talking about any connection to Jesus and David means that God is, is fulfilling every single promise in, in Scripture. To name the town where David was from, to, to talk about the heritage and the, the lineage of David is to say that everything that God said he would do, he does. It's proof that God is good on every promise that he has. If you look at the Bible from between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's the book of Malachi that ends the Old Testament and the book of Matthew or the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John that start the New Testament. In between that time is 400 years of what seems to be silence. It seems like God isn't doing his thing. But to mention David, to mention that Joseph is part of that line, is to say that God had been working faithfully, preserving that line, preserving that, that seed, that, that connection to the King David from the Old Testament. And even when it looks like the Roman Empire had ultimate power, God is saying, as I fulfill my promises, you're going to see that this infant has all the power. You know, earlier I shared that I didn't have a lot of um, memorable Christmas gifts growing up, but I did have one very memorable birthday gift, uh, and it was in the fifth grade. Um, I know I haven't played basketball with any of you, really, but I fell in love with basketball in grade school, and it's pretty much all that I wanted to do. And uh, some of you older folks, like, you'll kind of laugh at me because the person I uh, most looked up to wasn't so much uh, Michael Jordan uh, because he was, he was just naturally gifted. Actually, I was leaning towards this guy that probably none of you know named Chris Mullen. Right? Who? You're like, what? <laughs> this guy, he was known to shoot a thousand shots every day of his life. And there's clips of him doing that from all different spots. And I, I knew I didn't have natural talent, but I knew I could work hard. But all I needed was a basketball hoop. Right? My parents were really strict. They didn't like me going out, you know, staying out late or going, you know, like being away from home because they were away from home. Uh, so I really wanted a basketball hoop in my driveway. And this is not my driveway. I wish my house looked this nice. But I bugged my dad the, the year of, of fifth grade, and he made a deal with me. He said, okay, if you get straight A's the entire year, I'll, I'll get you a hoop. And 
when you tell me, you make a deal with me, I put my head down and I commit to it and make it happen. That's just, that's just my personality. So my dad told me that. I didn't even like, bother him. I was like, it's, it's happening, you know? Um, I, I studied really hard. I remember in June getting my report card, straight A's, and I ran home. I ran home. Uh, I run home, go inside. My mom's at home, but my dad's not. I'm like, where's dad? And my mom's like, oh, he's in the back. And I'm like, okay, I go back. And do you know what I find him doing? He had already rented a tool to dig in the concrete to put in the hoop. It was already purchased, and he was pouring in the cement. He had hoped to install the hoop before I came home. He hadn't even seen my report card. But he remembered that promise, and he was at work fulfilling it, saving the money, renting the tool, putting in the elbow grease to install the basketball hoop. A lot of times we think God is silent or unfaithful, but we don't know his ways. In Isaiah 55, I think verse 9, it says that my ways are so much higher than your ways. God is God and we are not, right? That's a, a, a very common saying and it's so true. In Jesus' birth, we see that God is good for every single one of his promises. It's not the way that they expected in that time for God to fulfill the promise of a Messiah. But it was definitely the way that he fulfills it. That's the first timeless truth. The second is that God is able. Second timeless truth is that God is able. When we think about power and ability, we tend to think about grand and extraordinary expressions of it, right? Nowadays, you know, with all the superhero movies, we think about superheroes, right, and their crazy powers. We think about people with money. We think about people who are famous, people who have influence. But God loves, he loves displaying his power in unexpected and unlikely ways. You know, Pastor Bill uh, preached a couple weeks ago on 2 Corinthians 12, and I've heard so many of you talk about it, uh, please thank him for that message if, if that has uh, impacted you. But in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 12, Apostle Paul is talking and he says, But God, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is perfect in weakness. And Apostle Paul continues and says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And I was reading Luke chapter 2, and I kept going mentally back to 2 Corinthians 12, because in what situation is a baby a viable source of power and ability? In terms of, let's just talk about the animal kingdom. Human babies are the, one of the most helpless unhelpful beings in the world, right? It's a weird fact, but I like stand-up comedy, and it's hard to find clean stand-up comedy, admittedly, but uh, Jim Gaffigan is one of those really clean, I think he's really funny, maybe you won't think so, but he has four kids, and uh, he says, oh, do you want to know what having four kids is like? Imagine you're drowning, and someone hands you a baby, 
A baby cannot help. Adding a baby to the equation externally doesn't solve a thing. Right? And, and Luke continues and, and says in verse 7 that this, this baby, this infant is in swaddling cloths. Nothing about this exudes power. Nothing exudes the ability to save in this image. If anything, it's the sentiment that this baby needs to be protected. This, this baby needs to be cared for. This baby needs to be preserved and to be raised up. And some of you moms and dads in the room, you know what it's like to, to raise a child, to, to nurse a child, to swaddle a baby, to think that this Messiah, this Savior, this Lord, who is supposed to have more power, more ability than any ruler of this world, needed to be swaddled, But it was exactly how God wanted to show his ability, his power. And if there was any question about God's power and ability, angels show up. Angels show up and vindicate and stand on the behalf of of this infant. Verse 13, and suddenly, and suddenly, with the angel who talked to the shepherds, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, they show up. And I love, if you just pause for a moment, a multitude of the heavenly hosts. It's not all of the heavenly hosts, it's just one multitude. And the phrase heavenly hosts evokes language of armies. When you think about armies, you expect them to fight, but what is this army doing? The victory is won, the baby's born. All we have to do is praise. That's how secure they are in the fact of God's ability to save the world through an infant who unseemingly, right, externally doesn't look like he's going to save. And later, this was one of the coolest things I found, later in the book of Luke, there would be another instance of someone being wrapped in cloth and being laid down. In Luke 23, Jesus is crucified, he's dead, and he needs to be buried. And this, this man, Joseph of Arimathea, he asks for the body. Verse 50, a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea, he was a member of the council, a good and righteous man. And verse 52, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been, ever yet been laid. If there was ever a moment of feeling like this is not the way it's supposed to be, it was at the death of Jesus Christ. Seeming defeat, seeming weakness. If there was ever a moment when you felt like this is not the way we expected it to go, it was Luke 23. To package the infant baby wrapped in cloth, laid in a manger, to package this king of the Jews that everyone expected to overthrow the Roman Empire, dead, wrapped in cloth, laid, is to say what seems like weakness, what seems like defeat, God is able to use 
to redeem and to bring about his purposes, his glory. It doesn't look like it at first glance. It doesn't seem the way we would have expected it. But God shows his power and ability through the birth of Jesus. God is faithful, God is able, and lastly, God is gracious. Grace is unmerited favor, right? An undeserved gift. So in particular, grace of God in Luke 2, the grace of God in Luke 2 is most evident through how he interacts with the shepherds. In the shepherds. In verse 8, we read that in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. The fact that they were in the field and not in the town reminds us that shepherds were outcasts. They were socially pushed aside because of their occupation. They were religiously unclean because they were handling animals. And they were even unreliable sources of information. Shepherds were treated as untrustworthy. If they were brought to court, their testimony would be not counted because they were seen as unreliable. So when God reveals himself to these types of people, these people who were social outcasts, who were religiously unclean, who probably felt far from God, far from the rest of the community, God shows grace. There's nothing these shepherds did to earn the angel showing up and the heavenly host singing before them. What was about, what, you know, was there anything special about these shepherds that they deserved to hear about the Messiah as one of the first people, group of people? And the argument is no. God graciously reveals himself to people. And the fact that he reveals himself to, to these shepherds at night, right? They're figuratively and physically living in darkness, separated from everyone else, and the glory of God shone on them. That's what scripture tells us. And God makes it even clearer through the message of the angel. In verses 10 to 12, the angel says to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. And this is a a piece of grammatical information, but I think it's significant. All of those second-person pronouns are singular. The angel doesn't address the shepherds as you, you people. The angel addresses the shepherds as part of the collective, the rest of the people, Israel, who will receive this, this Messiah, this Savior, this Lord. Through the angel, the shepherds realize that God wants them to be part of his salvation recipients. That God wants these shepherds who feel so far away, so cast aside, to be part of the covenant family of God. Isn't that such good news? That God sees those who feel far away, those who feel like they have no right, no part of God's promises, those who feel like it's so hard to experience God, to see God in what they do. That God wants these folks to experience the peace that he wants to bring through the birth of this infant Messiah. So when we're confronted with situations and circumstances that don't seem 
the way it's supposed to be, we have to trust in God's grace. That he loves us more than we could ever realize. And some of us today, admittedly, if we're really honest with ourselves, we feel forgotten by God or distant from God. And yet others of us who are experience God's grace feel that there are other people in our lives who need to receive the grace of God. We're, there's something, if we're really following Jesus, where this world or this life feels like it's not the way it's supposed to be. But to remember God's grace is such a necessary truth we need to remember for the rest of our lives. God's faithful, God's able, God is gracious. These truths are timeless. That's why it's so good to reflect on a Christmas story every year. And admittedly, these three truths aren't new for a lot of us. Even for those who don't follow Jesus, these are characteristics that you've probably heard about Jesus or God. But it would be a serious, serious mistake to feel like, oh, I already know these. Let's move on. Teach me something else about the Bible. Show me something different. It would be a serious mistake of pride to move on quickly because you already know or I already know. These are truths that will sustain us. These are truths that when God most wanted to reveal himself through Jesus, that he displays to the world. These truths are what will sustain you when you go through hardship. These truths are what will strengthen you to overcome the things in your life. And I'll even argue that any struggle in your walk with Jesus is because you doubt or undermine one of these truths. Are you dissatisfied at work? You might be questioning whether God has faithfully led you to the job that you need to be. Are you frustrated that some of your family members don't know Jesus yet? You might be questioning whether God is going to be gracious to to them. And while Mary and the shepherds did nothing to deserve God's grace, they show qualities that are exemplary that I would like to share uh, with you all as an application. We see Mary and these shepherds responding to God's faithfulness, power, and grace in such beautiful ways. We see that Mary treasured everything. She was, she didn't say a word. She was observing everything that was going on. She treasured it, and she pondered them in her heart. She wasn't trying to figure them out. She was treasuring it, pondering it, And then later on, she would reflect on the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and it would come together to realize what she had actually been a part of. And how does does this show up in her life? In ordinary, everyday faithfulness. I think sometimes we overlook ordinary, everyday faithfulness. We mix up faithfulness with perfection, when faithfulness is more about steadfastness and perseverance, it's okay to have questions. It's okay to be confused about what God is doing in your life. But we have to be committed to following the things that we do know about God, the character, the heart, and to trust in who he is. 
everyday faithfulness. And then the shepherds, we see that after they encountered this Messiah, what do they do? They return. But they return such different people. I'll boldly say that they might be the happiest people in all of chapter 2. They're glorifying and praising God for what they experienced. These unlikely messengers, ambassadors for God's angel and the heavenly host become the people who see the Messiah with their own eyes and go back to tell the world, and they do it with such gladness. They probably didn't get everything right about Jesus, right? They probably didn't understand how this infant was going to save the world and be the Messiah and become Lord, but they knew enough and proclaimed and glorified the things that they did know. Sometimes we think we need a perfectly persuasive argument for Christianity to proclaim proclaim him in the world, but all that God is asking is a testimony of how he has impacted you. We, we can all do that. And as we close this series of Keeping Christ in Christmas, in eight days, we're going to be with friends and family and others to celebrate this particular holiday. And I would like to give you these two applications of Keeping Christ in Christmas. Treasure Christ in your hearts. In the areas that you doubt or question, to treasure and ponder like Mary did. Be faithful in the things that you already know. You're not responsible for the things you don't know. Be responsible and faithful to the things you already know about him. And secondly, make God known to the world. These shepherds, they didn't have it perfectly. In fact, a lot of people most likely rejected their message because of who they were. But they leave the happiest people in this passage. And to close, uh, this one quote I came across from a Bible commentator that was so, so challenging to me that I want to read to you. Depth of spiritual commitment is determined by the quality of one's fidelity after the majestic voice is no longer heard. Depth of spiritual commitment is determined by the quality of one's fidelity after the majestic voice is no longer heard. It's going to be easy to treasure Jesus in your heart here on Sunday morning or in your small groups, in your community groups. It will be, but what about Monday through Saturday? Find a way to do that. Maybe read this passage again with fresh eyes. Maybe ask God to... to Purify your heart in the ways that you maybe distrust or doubt his, his faithfulness and his ability and his grace. It's going to be easy to glorify and praise God here on a Sunday morning when we have awesome, awesome praise leaders. Do you realize that our praise leaders, June and Alice, pick songs that were straight from Scripture, talking about shepherds, talking about what the angels sang today? It's easy to glorify God, praise praise him here. But what about to the world who desperately needs this message? And God is saying that you'll be so happy to do that when you do it after being overwhelmed by who I am and who I am for you. So could I encourage some of you to be bold this Christmas at your Christmas dinners 
Maybe you don't have believing families, but to say, hey, mom, dad, whoever, can I pray for the meal? I'm just really thankful to God. Or for some of you to bring up within the group that you're, whoever you're with, to say, hey, can I read a a scripture in the Bible that means a lot to me? I just want to read it over you. You don't have to say a single thing. I just want to read it because it's truth to me and it changes everything about how I live. And when you get the opportunity to actually share the gospel, seize it. Don't have to do it perfectly. Seize it. Testify to how God has impacted you. I want to leave that challenge to you as you look at, in eight days, whoever you're with. So the story of Jesus in Luke 2 puts us in the shoes of Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. The story of Jesus' birth shows us the heart and character of God. And these reactions from Mary and the shepherds show us how to experience the deep joy of this good news. Amen? Good news of great joy that we need and this world desperately needs. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the word. We thank you that in your great wisdom and sovereignty, you had people record the story of your son's birth. And forgive us if we've taken it for granted. Forgive us if we just assumed too much. But help us to see how bizarre this story is. Help us to to feel and and to witness the situation in which your, your son was sent to the earth. That regardless of external circumstances, what you wanted to do was do some internal healing, internal transformation, and salvation of every single heart in the world. And you still want that today. And that comes from from us realizing who you are based on how you revealed yourself, especially through your son. And this morning, we want to reflect how faithful you are, how able you are, and how gracious you are. There's not a single prayer, single promise, single word that you will, will see and ignore. There's not a single situation in this world, in our lives, that you cannot redeem. And there's not a single heart in this room, in this world, that you do not love with a supreme, divine love. All that you ask It's for us to believe. So this morning, we want to exercise faith. And as we continue our worship, that as we worship God, that you would be strengthening our trust in you, our commitment to you, our perseverance for your namesake. And we ask that you you would help us experience your joy. We don't want to muster up our own joy. We want your joy. We want to be, we want to go out like the shepherds did in Luke 2. So strengthen us at this time. This time matters before your eyes. May we behold you, behold Christ, and make you known in the world. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.